Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34. And we see here, if you know, if you remember our study through uh, uh, chapter 32, and in chapter 32, verse 49, the Lord calls Moses up the mountain. And before going up the mountain, Moses blesses the children of Israel. And now he's going up the mountain. And we start here in verse 1. Then Moses, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 1, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Understand, you see, in this intimacy that Moses has with the Lord, there is absolutely an impact in the physical realm. You know, and we see this here in in, in verse one. But if you've been walking with us for a while and, you know, our studies through Exodus and Numbers and, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's like, wow, it's so powerful because you see how the Lord desires intimacy with his people. And it's beautiful to see when you see it in a congregation, when you see it in the assembly of the children of Israel. But then what about in the assembly today, the assembly of the saints? But then also understand that it's in accordance to his word. You see, the Lord desires intimacy to tabernacle with us. Tabernacle, Old Testament, a noun. Tabernacle, New Testament, New Covenant, a verb to tabernacle with us. But you see, in the Old Testament, you have to have eyes to see and ears to understand. Eyes to see and ears to hear. And understand, remember the cloud and, you know, uh, with the children, the camp of Israel in the wilderness? And you see the cloud, you see this beautiful intimacy, the mercy seat. And you see all these things which are a shadow of the things to come. Each individual element, like, you know, pieces, it all pieces and it all points to Christ. Remember our study through Colossians? And so we see here in verse 2, All Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea. You know, some translations say as far as the Mediterranean Sea. You know this, to the sea? It's Israel. Israel. So we see here in verse 3, the south. And the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. It's so beautiful because you have old man Moses and the Lord is showing him all the span of the land. In verse 4, you see, then the Lord said to him, remember this beautiful, beautiful intimacy. Then the Lord said to him in verse 4, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham. No period. No period. This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's beautiful. Promises of the Lord unto Abraham. Promises of the Lord unto Isaac. Promises of the Lord unto Jacob. Remember, the law is the additive. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand the law was added because of sin, because of transgression. And the Lord in this beautiful intimacy... The Lord and old man Moses. This is the land, Moses. This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How beautiful is this? Now, let's get in my time machine. You know, you might have, you know, 
aunts, uncles, grandmas, you know, spouses, kids, parents. I love, but just you and me. Let's get in my time machine. And we're going to go 40 years into the past. Moses is a, a younger fellow at the, at the age of 80 years old. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Let's go in the time machine. Just you and me. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses, this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Remember, this is, you know, what we see in Deuteronomy 34. This is old man Moses. In Exodus 3, this is young man Moses at the age of 80. Now Moses, in verse 1, was tending the flock, uh, was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. I love this so much. You know, there's a saying, curiosity killed the cat. There's that saying, you know, curiosity killed the cat. But don't forget, curiosity can also save the cat. <laughs> and that's what you see here with Moses. This curiosity. I'm not, you know, this bush. I will. I, 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 I'm going to check this out. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. He says in verse three, why the bush does not burn. I have a little message to non-believers. If you happen to be listening and you're not a believer, there is absolutely a hustle to. Everyday life, I get it. I understand the ebb and flow of things. Everyday life, we're we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And I'm speaking specifically to non-believers. I understand the hustle bustle of everyday life. But like Moses, you may notice something peculiar, something you've never seen nor heard. And you're curious. Just like Moses and his curiosity, like, I've never seen a bush on fire. I've never seen a, a bush on fire, but yet it, 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 like a, a flame of fire in the midst, midst of the, it, like you know, it's burning with fire, but the, the bush was not consumed. I mean, you know, you, 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 there's a bush on fire. You see the, the leaves turn, you know, they start to get charcoaled. But then to see a bush on fire, no charcoal, the leaves are still there. The branches are still intact. No, you know, crackling of you know the the wood and the 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 the, the lumber you don't you don't hear that you don't see the crackling you don't you don't hear the crackling you don't see what is this and to non-believers you know you might have this curiosity like what is this i've i've, I've never heard this before and it is true that in some cases curiosity can kill the cat curiosity can be deadly but in other cases, curiosity can save the cat. Curiosity can save you. Look what happens with Moses. Let's see what God does. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. You see, Moses, the Lord sees Moses. Moses has his curiosity. Saw the bush and says... I, I'm going to check this out. 
I'm going to turn aside from my, 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 my hustle of life, my hustle and bustle of everyday life. I'm going to turn aside from that and see out of curiosity, why is it that this bush isn't burning? And when the Lord saw that this particular individual turned aside from life, turned aside from, you know, the hustle bustle, turned aside from whatever it was he was doing. I mean, you know, he was shepherding at this time, but when the Lord saw that he turned aside from that, and out of curiosity to see what is this, why does this bush not burn? In verse 4, the Lord saw that in Moses. And remember, the Lord sees the heart. The Lord saw that in Moses. When the Lord saw in verse 4 that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. You see, and remember, I speak to the non-believer. If that's you, in the hustle of life. You might have a a curiosity of what is this? What is this I hear about the Bible? What is this I hear about Deuteronomy? What is this I hear about references to the book of Acts? What is this I hear? What is this? And out of curiosity, yes, in some cases, curiosity can kill the cat, but in other cases, curiosity can save the cat. And perhaps you can turn aside from the hustle and ebb and flow of everyday life. Perhaps you too, just like Moses, can turn aside to look. And even further, perhaps, and I pray, you, like Moses, can hear the call of God. Just like Moses. What is this I hear? What is What are these studies through Exodus here, Deuteronomy here, the book of Acts here, Colossians here? What is this? I've never heard this said before. I've never heard this said like that. I've never heard this taught like this. And what is this, you know, turn here and turn there? What is this? I'm curious. Look at what the Lord did in Moses. so beautiful how we see the Lord desires intimacy. And if that's you, remember, I speak to the non-believer. If you happen to be listening for various reasons, but it's not, it's not coincidence. The call of God, God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Because remember, he's not willing that any should perish, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. And just as the Lord called out to Moses, I pray, my beautiful friend, that you can hear the Lord calling out to you. Look at verse 4. Look at what Moses says. And he said, here I am. Beautiful. (laughs) Here I am. The curiosity of Moses. Why Why is it that this bush isn't burning? I'm going to check this out. Look, I, I see this great sight and I see this fire and I expect the leaves to wither away. I expect to see the, you know, snap, crackle, pop and that's not happening. 
So I'm going to check this out. Why is it that the, the bush isn't burning? What is this peculiar thing I see? What is this? I'm curious. And the Lord is still calling people. Yes, I understand we have everyday life. I get it. We're in this world. I understand. And I say this to my non-believing friends. God loves you. You know, you hear us say from time to time, get in the ark, get in the boat. And when I say boat, it's capital B. I speak of the ark, Jesus Christ. He is the ark of our time. God is still calling to people. This door of grace is still open, but it's not going to be open forever. Judgment is coming. And if that's you, a non-believer right now, I want you to hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen, we continue on, and you're not an unbeliever anymore. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I tell you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. Look at the times that we're living in today. Look at how prophecy is being fulfilled. Look at the craziness in the world. Geopolitically, you know, uh, look at what's going on with everywhere you look. It's like, you know, I have these conversations with non-believers all the time. Even, you know, Satanists, Buddhists, you know, Catholics, all kinds of different people. It's like, wow, the world is going crazy. And it's like, no, it isn't. I mean, it is, but it would, it's according to what the Word of God says. Things aren't falling apart. They're falling in place. The events of the last days. These things must happen so that all of Scripture can be fulfilled. And all of Scripture will be fulfilled. And in your curiosity, my beautiful friend, in your curiosity, you hear the call of God. I pray. I hope. And you get in the ark. You see? You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. Moses says, here I am. And oh my goodness, what a beautiful walk it's been for Moses and the Lord, this beautiful intimacy. And this is like the very beginning of a beautiful, beautiful intimacy, the Lord and Moses, Moses and the Lord. And every single believer has that very first moment of intimacy with the Lord when we first believed. And what a walk it has been. And so in verse 5, then he said, this is the Lord now, then he said, do not draw near this place. Now it's like, whoa, you know, like, you know, like, Lord, you called me and now you're saying don't draw near. Well, there's a reason why he says don't draw near. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Remember, the Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. He says to Moses, take your sandals off your feet. 
For the place where you stand is holy ground. You see, even for Moses, the Lord has, you know, a, a, you know, a, 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 a manner in which he is approached. For Moses, and also for us. The manner by which we are to approach the Lord, our Father in heaven, God, the Most High, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Remember, God is holy. And Moses here in verse 5 is getting a very, his first experience in understanding, wow, the Lord is holy. The Lord says, don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off. Because this is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You see, Abraham, no period. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Remember, this is Moses as an adult. And as an adult, he was rocked. His world was rocked because the world that he grew up in was fake. He was raised as a son of Egypt. An existential crisis of identity. You see? Which is not uncommon to anyone. Who am I? I thought I was Egyptian. I grew up, I was raised as a son of Egypt. Who am I? Having conversations with young people. Who am I? Who am I? Old people, who am I? Who am I? But a better question is, who is the Lord? Who is God? Because understand, the Lord, the creator of all things, all things, I mean, it's daytime, you look at the sun, that's the Lord, the Lord made that. It's nighttime, you look at the moon, that's the Lord, he made the ground that you stand on, the earth that you stand on, that's, that's his handiwork. You look in the mirror, that's his handiwork. The most high. And when you understand who God is, the nature and character of our Lord, who am I? The better question is, who is the Lord? Why? Because we see what he can do with anybody, young, old, male, female, I don't care what the Lord can do with Anybody, and I say this to you as a repaired individual, the Lord put me together. I'm on borrowed time. I should be dead. I should be dead or in prison. According to the flesh, I should be dead or in prison. And I say this to you as a repaired individual, the Lord put me together. Physically and spiritually. But he does the same for you. He can do the same for you. The question is, are you and me together, are we willing to yield to him? In this 
existential crisis of Moses. Who am I? I thought I was a son of Egypt this whole time. I was raised in Egypt and I thought I was like this. I thought I was like that. I thought I was everything I've learned, everything, everything. And the Lord is speaking to him. Revealing himself to him. I am the God of your father. Not Pharaoh. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In verse 6, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You see, Moses, you see, in his, you know, we see when he was a baby in, you know, uh, 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 Exodus, in, you know, the early chapters of Exodus, we, Exodus chapter 1, 2, 3, you see, like, wow, you know, he's just a baby, he's growing up, and how he was raised in Egypt. But then at the same time, you see his spiritual growth. He was afraid to look upon God. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes Christians have a hard time understanding that. I'm supposed to fear the Lord? Yes. Reverence for Him. Understand who He is. The very heart in your body beats without batteries. The very lungs, air goes in your lungs and all these things, he made, he put those things into, you know, like the, 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 the breath of life. The sun, the moon, the stars, he created all things. And when the Lord speaks to him, Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look upon God. In fear of the Lord, which absolutely is the beginning of wisdom, it is Helpful in our walk with the Lord. People say like, wow, you know, you know, Jesus is my friend. The Lord is my friend. Beautiful. Don't forget he's Lord. Remember the, the brothers of Joseph? Yeah, they were brothers. And when Joseph, you know, hey guys, I had a dream. I had a dream. And they were like, okay, what is the dream? You guys were, you know, bowing down to me and worshiping me. They're like, what? You're crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, Jacob even says, you know, what is this dream? And J- Joseph, like, you know, you know, even you are bowing down. And okay, you're crazy. Joseph as a type of Christ. Yes, there's beauty in intimacy with the Lord, but don't forget that He is Lord. He is Lord, and we worship Him. You see, and yes, He's. A friend, the word of God even says that, you know, when Jesus says, you know, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because friends don't wonder what the master is doing. Servants do. Servants wonder what the master is doing. But when you have close intimacy with the Lord and you're a friend of God, you don't wonder. You just know because you're, there's, there's like oneness, intimacy with him. But don't forget that he's Lord. You see? And we worship him. Moses in this, in his spiritual infancy, he was afraid to look upon God in verse seven. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. You see, God isn't absentee at all. He knows their sorrows. He's, he has seen. 
in verse 8. So I have come down. Very interesting what we see here in verse 8. So I have come down, he says to Moses. Why? What is the objective? I have come down, and here's the objective, to to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. That's objective number one. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Objective number two, and to bring them up from that land. And now we see objective number three, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Remember, in verse 7, God knows their sorrows. He hears their cry. And he will deliver, absolutely. He did it with Israel. Why not for you? Why not for us? In the case of Israel, it wasn't just like, okay, you guys are free and that's it. Okay, now you're, remember, these objectives in, 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 in verse 8, to deliver, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And, you know, objective number two, to bring them to, uh, to bring them up from that land. And then in, in, in the objective number three, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. It wasn't just, okay, you guys are free, you're out of Egypt, and boom, we're done. No. Freedom wasn't on their terms. Oh, look, we're in bondage and we want to be free, okay, now I'm free, okay, thanks, thanks, you know. Nice, you know, nice doing business with you, now we're done. No, it doesn't work that way. Freedom isn't on their terms. Freedom is in God's terms. The same with us. Freedom isn't on my terms or your terms. Freedom is on God's terms. Because all else is what we refer to as bondage. The people need to learn holiness. Israel need at this moment in verse 8. The pe- Remember, we, we got in a time machine. And the people need to learn holiness unto a holy God. Now that we know that formula, why would this not apply for us today? I'm not advocating the law and saying this. I'm not saying, okay, let's learn Leviticus and apply Leviticus. Let's learn numbers and apply numbers. We we study Leviticus. We study numbers, understanding that the law was added because of sin, because of trespass. But remember, the promises of the Lord were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob pre-law. Except for one. Circumcision. Which as New Covenant believers, we understand that circumcision is belief. And as New Covenant believers, we understand that. But don't forget the Torah even references circumcision, likening it to belief. Do you remember our studies? Holiness is a learned thing. God certainly frees. But remember, freedom, it's on God's terms. Always remember, it's it's on His terms. Sometimes I have this conversation with people, that's not really freedom then. That's not really freedom then. Because, you know, you, 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 you say you're free in Christ, but then 
look, why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? It's like, you know, not to get political, but it's like, you know, libertarians. You know, I want absolute freedom. I don't want the government to tell me to do anything. I want complete 100% freedom. So if I want to do my crack, I can do my crack. If I want to do my sex, I can do my sex. If I want to do my alcohol, I can do my alcohol. I don't want government telling me to do anything. If I want to do my mushrooms, if I want to do my LSD, I want to do whatever it is. That is absolute freedom. But wait a second. Is it really freedom? Or is it just an excuse for bondage? Because I don't want to be free to do my sex, my drugs, my rock and roll, and the whole nine yards. I want to be free to do all that. Look at what that opens the door to, my friend. More vice. You see? People say, oh, I want this extreme freedom, but... What happens to self-control? Which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And that's that's politically speaking. The ways of the flesh. Extreme freedom, extreme freedom. Look Look at what happens. Look at the aftermath. And understand that God is loving. Freedom is on His terms. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to get involved with, you know, the any form of bondage. Freedom is on God's name. Imagine the children of Israel. Okay, we're out of we're out of Egypt now. Thanks, you know, pleasure doing business with you. And okay, we're we're gonna go live our own lives. We're gonna go do our own thing now. But no, they had to learn. Holiness unto a holy God. What did they know? They've been in bondage. What did they know? You get into passages and the minor prophets, you know, the Lord says, I taught Ephraim to walk. Like a loving father. Who who gives what mother gives birth to a child? And says, okay, child, here you have, you know, complete and total freedom. You're libertarian. You have complete and total freedom. Here you are. Plop the baby down on the sofa. Okay, here you are, baby. You know, okay, go ahead. You have extreme freedom. Go live. The baby's going to die. The baby needs to learn how to walk. How to speak. How to do things. All in the safety of, you know, parents. The child learns. How much more our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. How much more our Father in heaven. You see? A parent saying, okay. Okay, baby girl. Look, you have extreme freedom. Go out. Earn a living. Close the front door. Okay, it's nice doing business with you, baby girl. Have fun. Have at it. Go get a job. She's, you know, three years old. Go get a job. Go, you know, rent an apartment. Buy your groceries. That's not love. You see, oh, I want freedom. I want freedom. Why does God have all these rules for me? And, you know, I say these things not as, you know, I I say these things from experience because that was one of my biggest 
downers to, to, to walk with Christ. It was like 25 years ago. But to be a believer and walk with Christ, I was like really kind of depressed because I liked the things of the world. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you know what? I don't like this rule. I don't like that rule. I don't like this rule. So I'm still going to dabble in this. You know what that's called? It's called being lukewarm. I say these things to you from experience. The Lord doesn't want us to be tied up in all kinds of different forms of bondage. Freedom is on His terms. You see? And it's so beautiful because, you know, I, I, I reflect back on, you know, my old self, you know, 25 years, 25 years ago. And old me, you know, I wanted an immediate fix to my life, which was a mess, complete and total mess. And I wanted an immediate fix. Lord, you know, fix my life. Lord, fix my life. And I wanted the Lord to like, boom, fix it right then, right there. You know, I'm in one room. Boom, my life is fixed. You know? Marriage is good. Job is good. This is good. Everything is beautiful. Everything is fantastic and immediate fix. But that's more of a genie in the bottle. My perception of what the Lord was and how it works wasn't right. The Lord is not a genie in the bottle. He is Lord. He is holy. Back then, I wanted an immediate fix. You know, pray, say amen, and then within five minutes, everything's fine. Everything's fixed. And, you know, five minutes later, it wasn't fixed. A day later, a week later, it wasn't fixed. You know, where are you, Lord? I prayed to you and I did this. I believed and I prayed and nothing happened. Where are you, Lord? But today I tell you, I'm glad his fix wasn't immediate. I am super glad. I am beyond glad that his fix wasn't immediate. Reminds me of Jacob. Jacob, when he was wrestling with the Lord and he would, Jacob himself would refer, refer to God as, you know, the God of my father. And then he wrestled with the Lord and the Lord messed him up. He had a little limp. And then after the wrestling match, the Lord says, okay, you are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. The name changed. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel governed by God. You see, you might be in a situation too. You hear me, you know, make these uh, 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 shout outs to the non-believers, but you might be a believer and you're like, you know what? I'm wrestling with the Lord too. Perhaps you're governed by self. Perhaps the throne of your heart is occupied by you as mine once was. Are you governed by God? I can't answer that for anybody. Only myself. But are you governed by you or God? If the answer is you, and you believe in the Lord, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you call yourself a Christian, 
But if it's you that is still sitting on the throne of your heart, you need to repent and get off that throne. Jesus, it's yours. Take it. That's your seat, Lord. And when that happens, you are governed by God. Just like what happened with Jacob. Just like what happened with Paul. Just like happened with Priscilla. Just, it's it's beautiful. Understand the Lord is holy. Our freedom in Christ. And yes, we have an incredible, an abundance of freedom in Christ, but freedom in Christ is on his terms. It's not on my terms. I'm a spiritual libertarian. Oh, I believe in you, Jesus, but I I can do all the crack I want. Oh, I believe in you, Jesus. I can do all the sex I want. You know, the strippers, the prostitutes, the Buddha, you know, the, the drugs, the Ouija boards, the lies, all these kinds of different things. And, oh, you know, the, the occult and witchcraft and Wicca and all kinds of different things, different religions. But yeah, I love you, Jesus. It's not spiritual libertarianism. It's a walk intimacy with the Lord. Let's look at verse, still in Exodus 3, let's look at verse 9. The Lord sees, you know, when he says in verse 8, I have come down. And I'm going to do this work, he says, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. In verse 9, now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I also, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. In verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you. (laughs) Now I speak to the believers. Verse 8. I mean, I always speak to believers, but I understand that, you know, sometimes there's non-believers listening. Sometimes there's Buddhists listening. Sometimes there's Catholics. Sometimes there's Reformed people listening. It's like, I don't care who you are. I mean, I care who you are, but I don't care like whatever your background is. Uh, You might be uh, 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 a Calvinist. You might be reformed. You might be Catholic. You might be a stripper. You might be a prostitute. You might be a drug dealer. I don't care. What I do care about is your soul. Verse 10, Moses, he's freshly learning. Remember his existential crisis who am i everything i thought about egypt was a lie everything i thought about me being an egyptian was a lie who am i people have existential threats all the time and you know what they do they listen to the voice of satan and they put a bullet in their brain they listen to the voice of satan and they try to change their identity change their gender change this change that Who am I? Who am I? And you know, they listen to the voice of Satan. Okay, I'm going to jump off a bridge because I have this existential crisis. No, in existential crisis, you know what we do? We look to God. We look to God. In verse 8, the Lord says, I have come down to deliver them. And in verse 10, he says, Come now, therefore, I'm sending you. <laughs> Whoa. 
God's intimacy is with Moses and God will deliver. And God uses his vessels just like Moses. Just like Paul. Just like little Timmy. Just like James, John, Priscilla, Aquila, Lydia, Chloe. The Lord is at work. And he uses his vessels. Remember verse 8, I have come down to deliver. In verse 10, I'm going to use you. In verse 10, he says, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Whoa. How powerful is it? We just met. We just met. I mean, put yourself in Moses' shoes, you know, his sandals. Well, he happens to be barefoot now, so put yourself in that situation. You know, understand when we when we have this understanding of perspective and who the Lord is. It's like, whoa, what? Once Christians, Christians, once Christians understand the nature and character of our Lord, the nature and character of God who never changes. I never change, says the Lord. Malachi. He never changes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The Lord is this. He never changes. And once we understand his character and his nature and his heart, and we understand these things, you know, Calvinists and Reformed theory, oh, we can never know. It's impossible to know this. It's impossible to know that. But the Lord... As is written. He doesn't do anything without first revealing them to his servants. That's why you see this intimacy with the disciples. Who later became apostles. You see. Disciple, student. Apostle, messenger. You see. People, you know, you, you want to get a, a you know, I, I, I want to be a, 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 an astrophysicist. Well, you don't go from, you know, second grade and, you know, start, you know, you know, studying, you know, whatever space and all that stuff. Oh, I want to be a, 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 a bioscientist. I want to be a whatever it is. Well, you have to matriculate. You have to grow first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, higher learning, higher education, higher academia, and then, you know, get a job. And it's like, okay, now you do that. But how much more when we apply it to our walk with Christ? You see, student, disciple, and then messenger, and then whatever the Lord wants to do with you, just like with Moses. In Moses, you know, in chapter in in in, in Exodus three, uh, verse eight. So I have come down to deliver them, and yes, it's a work of the Lord, and yes, the Lord is doing it. But how does He do it? In verse ten, come therefore, I'm sending you, Moses. 
It's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, come over to my place and I'm going to make you this beautiful, beautiful meal and you guys are going to love it. And, you know, you're, it's going to be like anything, nothing you've ever tasted before. But then, you know, I have my cutting board, I have my knives, I have, you know, my pots and my pens, I have this and I have that, I have my ingredients. Different vessels that I'm going to use, measuring cups. Different vessels that I use. And yes, I'm making this meal that you're going to love. But I have different vessels that I use. How much more our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. You see? In verse 11, but Moses says to Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now, this is a tall order. You know, no disrespect to the Lord, you know, but, you know, this is a tall order, carnally speaking, because, you know, Egypt, Pharaoh was considered, considered God on earth. Egypt was like a mighty, mighty force, military force. And, you know, they had their gods that they worship, which did have power. Don't forget, the gods of Egypt, they did have power, but they were not all powerful. They were mighty, but they were not almighty. Egypt was no joke. Egypt was serious business. And, you know, from, you know, we just met, you know, Moses, you know, his, Fear of the Lord was, you know, he had his fear of the Lord. But then at the same time, you know, like we just met Lord. And the Lord is saying like, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. That you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, put yourself in Moses situation. Like what? I mean, like, yes, Lord, I'd be willing to do this, 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 but. You want me to go to who the people refer to as God on earth? You want me to go and, and, and free the people who are enslaved by the most powerful military force on the planet? When I say that's a tall order, no disrespect to the Lord, but carnally speaking, it's like, whoa, that's, that's a big deal. Look at verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. I will certain, not like, I'll be with you for five minutes and then, you know, I'll be gone for, you know, uh, a couple months and then I'll be with you for another minute and no, 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 no. I will certainly be with you. And when we have this proper perspective of, you look at the sun in, in the daytime, you look at the sun, that's the Lord's handiwork. Nighttime, you look at the moon, that's the Lord. The stars, you know, nighttime, you look at all the individual stars. I mean, who can do that? But, you know, you have like a kind of like a, 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 a an idea, you know, that depending on where you live, you live in the city, you can see like maybe two or three stars. You live out in the boonies, you can see a whole bunch of stars. But the one who made those, we're talking about him. And he says to Moses, I will certainly be with you. Whoa. You see how beautiful intimacy with the Lord is? 
And this, speaking to Moses, the Lord speaking to Moses, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. Remember, you look up at the sun, that's the Lord's handiwork. You look up at the moon, that's the Lord's handiwork. You look up at the mountain, the Lord's handiwork. He's almighty. And Moses in wondering like, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm just, look, I'm just a guy in the wilderness here. And I got my, my animals. I'm tending the, 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 the flock of Jethro, my father-in-law. And who am I that I should do this, that I even can do this? The, the better question is, who is the Lord? And the Lord is speaking to Moses, this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. He says, when you have brought the people, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I'll read this two ways. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's one way. I'll read it another way. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And I, I do that on purpose. Intimacy with the Lord is absolute bliss. But don't expect good only. You'll get the bad too. Regarding self and regarding others. Don't forget the Lord in this beautiful intimacy with Moses. The the Lord almost killed Moses. You see? And you see how beautiful it is for Moses having Zipporah. She absolutely helped him. Because of uncircumcision. You see, and even Moses didn't hallow the Lord. Intimacy, the intimacy of Moses and the Lord, absolutely beautiful. But it's not just good only. You see, what about regarding others? That's just regarding Moses. What about others? When the Lord reveals certain things to him. You see? Intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord, by his spirit, you will feel conviction of the spirit. You absolutely, you will feel the conviction of the spirit. But that's because the Spirit wants you and me to yield to Him, yield to the Word of God. That's called transformation, renovation, created in the image of God according to the flesh. But He's not done yet. What about according to the Spirit? Remember, Jesus Christ says to His disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Picture you and me were servants in the rich guy's house. 
rich guy, rich guy's mansion, one of his mansions. And it's day one on the job. First day on the job. I'm the cook, you know, and you know, you do, uh, you're the cleaner, you know. You're the cook, you're the cleaner. And if, if you happen to be in the mafia, not that type of cleaner. I'm the cook, you're the cleaner. We don't know anything about it's day one on the job. Day one on the job. We don't know anything. I don't know, know how he, you know, how much salt, you know, he might, I might oversalt him. He doesn't like the salt or he might undersalt and he likes the salt. I don't know anything. It's day one. We're his servants, but it's day one. You might clean a certain way and put the pillows over here and he likes the pillows over there. You're his servant, but you're learning. You see, we're, we're, Sir, we're, we're servants. We're learning. But in the course of time, we're still learning. In the course of time, we have learned. We don't wonder. I don't, I don't wonder about salt. I don't wonder about, you know, the, the recipes. I don't wonder about this. You don't wonder about this, this, that you don't wonder. Why? Because you know. Day one is not, you know, Day one in the first year is not day one in the 10th year. Because in the 10th year, you know, we know. And that's what's so beautiful. And the Lord says, hey, I don't, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because servants are wondering, okay, what is our master doing? Or what is our master? But friends don't wonder because they just know. That's the beauty of intimacy. People, you know, people say intimacy is like, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian. Okay, intimacy is done. Okay, I'm a servant. Okay, intimacy is done. But you know what I say? Go further. Even more intimate. Cheek to cheek, remember? Even more intimate. Because a friend doesn't wonder what the master is doing. Intimacy is blissful, absolute blissful. But you'll get the bad with the good. Understand. And with intimacy with the Lord, there's also something else that will happen. It'll be the most lonely you've ever been in your life. The most lonely you'll ever be. Carnally speaking. According to the flesh. No one will like you. It's the most lonely you'll ever be. Why? Because few tread. Few, look at Paul. Oh, Paul, we love you. We love you. We love you. Paul writes to Timothy. Everyone has left me. Except Dr. Luke. Only Dr. Luke is with me. And yet, what does old man Paul write? Send me my parchments because I got to write. I got to write. I got to exhort. I got to teach. Send me the parchments. Beautiful. His intimacy with the Lord. Everyone has left me. And he still has in his intimacy. Gotta teach. Give me the parchments. 
When you have intimacy with the Lord, it's not just like, oh, look, I'm blessed of the Lord and look all these things. I'm blessed of the Lord and look, I got, you know, puppies over here, beautiful puppies over here, beautiful roses over here, nice little lilies over here and everything's, everything is beautiful. Because intimacy with the Lord, the Lord is going to say, hey, the drugs, done. No more. Crack, alcohol, sex, done. No more. Why? Because he's changing you. It's called transforming, renewing of the mind. Transformed into the image of God. Not according to the flesh. That's done. According to the spirit. You see? It's the most lonely you'll ever be. There's a reason in verse 12, remember? So, you know, I'm going to read this two ways. The first way, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But then the second way is when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, let's get back in the time machine. Just you and me, you know. I don't care about aunts, uncles, parents, spouses, kids, parents, you know, second cousins, third cousins, twice removed. I could, I don't care. It's just you and me. Let's get back in the time machine and let's go a little bit into the future. Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. Egypt is now in the rear view mirror. Exodus 24. And we see in Exodus 24 verse... 12. And in Exodus 24, verse 12, then the Lord said to, said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments, which commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. You see, like, how beautiful is this? Like every, everything is nice and smooth, nice, nice and smooth. Everything is going beautifully. Nice and smooth. I'm going to give you these tablets. Come up to the mountain. I'm going to give you these tablets. The law and the commandments which I have written so that you may teach them. Everything is nice and smooth. In verse 13, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So incredibly beautiful. If you've been walking with us for a while, you understand, you know, the events that happened. So incredibly beautiful. This moment. But you know what happens? The Lord says to Moses, okay, go back to Israel. Go back to the camp of Israel. Go back to the people. Moses, he's in the cloud. He comes out of the cloud. And who does he see? Joshua. His assistant, Joshua. He sees Joshua. Then the two go down the mountain a little further. And what should they have seen? 
They should have seen the elders like in verse 14. He says to the elders, wait here for us. They should, they should have encountered the, it should have been Moses and then Joshua and then the elders. But you know what it was? It was Moses and Joshua. The two walked down the mountain. Where are the elders? Where's her? Where's Aaron? Where are the elders? That's interesting. They keep walking down the mountain. And then they hear like screams and shouts. It's like a, like a big party. They walk down further and what do they see? A golden calf. Worship of a golden calf. Aaron, who should have been, you know, up the mountain, not all the way up, but Aaron and the elders, they were there. Aaron was leading the procession. Aaron fashioned the, the golden calf. Israel became defiled through apostasy. There's a reason why in Exodus 3, verse 12, you know, when we read it two ways, the first way was in Exodus 3, verse 12, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That's the first way. But then there's a second way. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see why? Now, it is true that the entire camp of Israel... They worship the Lord on the mountain, but it's not without heavy chastisement. Not e e even judgment and wrath. It's a smaller remnant. Because with the golden calf came judgment of God. You see? And the ones that were of the camp of Israel that were serving the Lord on the, on, on the mountain, they repented. Aaron is one of them. Aaron repented. Aaron became high priest. You know what's so beautiful, what's so powerful, is that when Moses was by himself, Aaron, his assistant, is outside the cloud. And Moses by himself, and the Lord is giving Moses blueprints, very specific blueprints. Aaron is going to be high priest. Moses comes down the mountain and sees Aaron leading the procession, worshiping the golden calf. And Moses, Moses didn't give up. Well, Lord, you told me this and uh, I see Aaron at the calf. So, okay, you were wrong, Lord. You don't see that. You see the faith of Moses. Lord, you said that you gave the blueprints for the tabernacle, the priests, the priestly garments and sacrifice. You gave the blueprints and all these things that you told me in the mountain. I come down from the mountain. All I see is Joshua. We come down together. Where's Aaron? That's interesting. Aaron's not around. Where's her? Mm, interesting. Not around. Where are the elders? Mm, interesting. Not around. Where are they? Come on, Joshua, let's go down the mountain. They go down the mountain together. They start to hear the, the hooting and the hollering. 
Nessie the Golden Calf. You see, and, and the Lord included in the in the blueprints that the Lord gave to Moses, included in those blueprints was the very means by which Israel can be cleansed. There was judgment on Israel. The cleansing didn't happen for 100%. The cleansing happened to all those who repented. Aaron is one of them. See, there's a remnant in the camp of Israel. And there's going to be future remnants in the camp of Israel because judgment comes at you know specific times. Chastisement. But don't forget the remnant. In these last days, saints of the Most High must remember this. Because the waves of apostasy, they're already here. They've already come. And these waves are crashing. And it's going to get worse. These waves will intensify. I mean, you ever like stand at the shore, you're at the beach, you stand at the shore and you know, you're, you're, you're the very bottom of your feet, they're wet because you're on dry ground. The, the sand is wet, but the water hasn't really hit the toes yet. And, and then the wave, a little stronger wave comes and like, you know, your little pinky toe gets wet because it's a little stronger wave. And then another stronger wave comes and now your little, your, your big toe, your little thumb toe. That's wet now because the wave's a little stronger. Now the wave's a little stronger. Now you're ankle deep. And the wave's stronger. And now you're like, you know, shin deep. And then, you know, knee deep, then hip deep, then chest deep, then neck deep. The waves of apostasy are going to intensify and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And the church, we will take casualties. Already people are falling away. But as for you, remember, it's just you and me in the time machine. As for you. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. You see why we read Exodus 3 verse 12 in two different ways. The first way is when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The second way is when you have brought the people, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on, serve God on this mountain. Because you, my beautiful friend, you have to make a choice. God doesn't make robots. I'm not a Calvinist. You have to make a choice. Stand firmly on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Let's go back in the time machine to the future. Deuteronomy chapter 34, Deuteronomy 34. And we see here in Deuteronomy 34, verse 4, old man Moses, 
the intimacy continues. Old man Moses in verse 4, the Lord, then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember when, remember at the burning bush? Or we say burning bush, but I meant the, the bush that was burning, but they didn't burn. And the Lord says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, I'm coming, I'm coming down, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver, and I'm going to bring them to the land flowing with milk and honey. Picture the astonishment of Moses. Especially at hearing, and you know what, Moses? I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you. And now, old man Moses, Deuteronomy 34, it's done. It has happened. Israel's not in Egypt. They're not quite in the promised land yet. And Moses himself is not without chastisement because he didn't hallow the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, come up to the mountain. Not Horeb. Remember, we're at Mount Nebo now. In verse 1. We're at Mount Nebo. The plains of Moab. And because Moses didn't hallow the Lord in his intimacies, in, 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 in the intimacy of Moses and the Lord and the Lord and, and Moses, it's not just, okay, you're going to have beautiful puppies over here, beautiful lilies over here, and everything's fine and dandy. No, the Lord, Moses, you can't go. Because you, you didn't hallow me. The Bible says if we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate. Some translations say if we are without chastisement, we are bastards. I don't want that said of any of us. Chastisement, you know, people think chastisement as a bad thing, which, you know, there's an element of like, ouch. <laughs> But when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, and in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, for the right here, for the right now. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Yes, absolutely. Chastening is, is painful. Look at the chastening of Moses. Like, all this way, Lord, and... No milk and honey for me? Except afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's not just, you know, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, period. No period. It's to those who have been trained by it. Whoa. To those who have been trained by it. You see? And look at verse eight. If we are with, if you are without chastening, of which you, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. I don't want that said of any of us, myself included. We're in the same boat. You see, I don't want that said of any of us. And when chastening happens, yes, there's this aspect of ouch. 
But afterward, when you're trained by it, it's the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Look at all the ouch moments of what we studied so far in the Torah, the first five books of, 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 of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. Look at all the ouch moments. Israel in the wilderness, look at all the ouch moments. And some ouch moments were like serious ouch moments. When we look at God's judgment. Very, very serious ouch moments. But the aftermath? The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at this generation now, the second generation of the camp of Israel that's passing into the promised land. You see? Not without chastisement. But then there's something else that has to happen. That, that, that has to happen. Now the children of Israel, the second generation, they are the ones that have to apply these things to their life. I mean, the previous generations too. But the future generations can't forget. You know what happens? They do forget. And it's going to break your heart. But what about with us? What about with us? What about with you and me? You see? To retain the precepts of the Word of God in our lives and not just know for the sake of knowing, but to read the Word and to heed the Word. Not be a hearer only, but to be doers of the Word. Applying them to our lives Becoming friends of God. Intimacy with the Lord. Deep intimacy with the Lord. Understand that Moses. Going, let's go back to Deuteronomy 34 now. Old man Moses. In verse 4, this is the land the Lord is saying to him in this continuation of intimacy this is the land of which i swore to give abraham isaac and jacob you see at the burning bush moment it was like so unbelievable what lord you want me to go to egypt you want me to go to pharaoh and israel the the jews they are in the grasp of pharaoh and Come again, Lord? You you want me to do that? And the Lord is doing the work. He uses his vessel, Moses. And to Moses, remember he says, I am with you. And now you have old man Moses. Now it's done. They're not in Egypt. Like Egypt, the, the, the might of Egypt is nothing. The Egypt has been reduced to, to, to nothingness. And that is what's so powerful about a walk with the Lord. One of many things. In a walk with the Lord, you learn more and more about Him, His nature, His character. I mean, to hear people say, you know, nothing is impossible for God. I mean, when you're a non-believer, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
And I've, I've been in that situation as formerly a non-believer. You know, Christians, you know, speaking their Christianese, nothing is impossible with God. It's like, okay, whatever. Even as a believer in a very serious mess, suicidal. People say, oh, nothing's impossible for God. Yeah, whatever, dude. But today, I tell you the truth. Absolutely nothing is impossible for God. And I don't say these things because I, you know, saw the preacher guy on TV saying it or I read this in the book and in the New York Times bestseller. I tell you from experience. Nothing's impossible for him. Picture old man Moses at the burning bush. This is impossible. Like Egypt, Pharaoh, what? And now the Lord is saying in verse 4, here we are. This is it. I'm showing you the very thing that I promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Saying to them in verse 4, he says, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see. Remember, he's speaking to Moses. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. You see, Moses himself is not without chastisement. Remember, if we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate. Even Moses is not without chastisement. In verse 4, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. I have to tell you, I'm a little brokenhearted at this. I have such profound love and adoration for Moses. Not to deify Moses, but as a vessel of the Lord. Old man Moses. Now he's died. According to the flesh. Verse 5, Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there. And, you know, there's this aspect of like, oh man, you know, this... This kind of break, breaks my heart. But don't forget in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it just so happens that we just studied this very recently. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Brother Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you, should, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. That is not us. That is not Christians who sorrow as others who have no hope. I mean, have you ever been to a funeral, like a, a, a funeral at a non-believer? You know, a, a, a funeral for a non-believer? It's like, man, everybody's like, it's sad. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, I get it, but it's like they have no hope. But then you go to a Christian funeral, it's like, wow, this is like a party. I mean, they're still sad, but it's like, wow, they're like celebration. Why? Because we're not like others who sorrow, who have no hope. There is absolute hope. Moses himself can't enter the land of milk and honey according to the flesh. Chastisement of the Lord because he didn't hallow the Lord. 
Moses himself is not without chastisement. But you and me, my friend, my brother, my sister, we have hope. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 34. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 5, Moses has died now. The servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Remember, there's Horeb, and then you go north to Moab, and then there's tribes on each side, and this forms a cross. You see? A cross. Then Moses, Moses buried right there at that intersection. Beautiful Moses, beautiful, beautiful Moses, servant of the Most High. In verse 6, and he, this is the Lord and God, and he buried him in a valley. Now, geographically, and you know, now we go down in the valley to those who have ears. In verse 6, he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Very interesting. No one knows his grave to this day. Now, let's get in the time machine. Just you and me. And let's go to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. New Testament. Jude chapter 1. And in Jude chapter 1. Verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, look at Satan is right there, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What did Satan want with that body? Why would Satan want that body? Very interesting. Why would Satan want that? But what could he have done? Well, what could he not have done? You know, worship of Moses. A new religion, no worship Moses. What could he not have done? He could have done anything. You see how the spirit realm enters the physical realm. Yes, there's the good side of that. You know, the, when the when the spirit realm enters the physical realm, there's the absolute beautiful side of that. But there's also the very deadly side of that, the very dangerous side of that. Remember, you know, in our study in Colossians, you open yourself up to the pneumos. That means you're open to the pneumos. And a lot of people aren't ready for that fight. Even Christians aren't ready for that fight. The big, tough guy, according to the flesh. Very capable at a fight. But when it comes to the pneumos, the spirit realm, incapable. You see? For saints, for Christians, it's the other way around. You could be, you could have little noodle arms. Little noodle arms and little noodle legs. But in Christ, mighty. 
a warrior, fighting the good fight, male, female, I don't care. And in the last days, the spirit realm will absolutely enter the physical realm. It's always been that case, but it's going to be even more to a higher degree. Why? Because the Bible says Satan knows his time is short. And these demons, these minions, the, the, the evil realm, the satanic realm, they're going to be on overdrive. And with power. With power. Signs and wonders, the false prophets. With a false Christ, the false gospel, another spirit. Sign, they will have signs and wonders. But it's a wicked and perverse generation which seeks after a sign. We don't seek after signs. We walk with Jesus. By faith. You see Michael the archangel in verse 9 here in Jude contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. And Michael the archangel dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but kept it simple. The Lord rebuke you. You see like, you know, the so-called teachers giving, you know, advice about spiritual warfare. And they say, oh yeah, when you when you do engage in spiritual warfare, you know, you talk to the demons, you talk to Satan, and you say this, you say that. No, 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 no. This is, we're talking about the pneumos here. You want to open up yourself? You open yourself up to the pneumos? You're open to the pneumos. And the spirit realm, it's going to be like full on, like, you know, full on in the last days. And it's amping up. Remember the, you know, at the shore, you know, the water's at your little pinky toe. Then it goes up to the big thumb toe. And then it gets up to the ankles. And we're like, we're like, we're not even knee deep right now. We're not even ankle deep right now. But we will be soon. You see? And if you're not firmly planted in the word of God, you know what that wave is going to do to you? You see? The falling away is prophesied. Michael the archangel dared not bring against Satan a reviling accusation, but just keep it simple. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Keep it simple. They know who Jesus is. Remember? The demon with the sons of Siva? You know, with the evil spirit? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you? And that's going to happen in the last days to Christians. Demons, you know, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Priscilla, I know. Aquila, I know. Chloe, I know. But who in the world are you? And the sons of Siva were overpowered, overtaken, and they ran away naked. I mean, if you've ever been in a fight, you know, like you have a like a nice shirt, you know, that shirt is like torn to pieces in a fight. I'm not advocating, you know, I'm not speaking about a, a, a physical brawl, but that spirit like messed up the sons of Siva and they ran away naked. And that's going to happen in the last days to Christians. People who believe in Jesus. But where is the oil? 
Remember, it is possible to believe in Jesus without the Spirit. Listen to our study through Acts chapter 8. Believers in Jesus Christ. John and, 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 and Peter come to town and they perceive, oh wow, believers in Jesus. And they perceive, but they don't have the Spirit. The Spirit had not, had yet not, had not yet fallen upon them. They laid hands and then this Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, except for one. Wickedness was in his heart. You see, the Lord knows. Believing in Jesus is beautiful, but don't forget the oil, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Light for the dark, power for your lamps, power so that we can live the Christian life. These are things that will be exposed in the last days. When the demonic realm is on full attack. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Priscilla, I know. Aquila, I know. Chloe, I know. But who in the world are you? No oil? Who's going to run naked and defeated? You see? These are going to be on overdrive in the last days. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17. And Matthew 17, a little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. And in Matthew 17, verse 1. Now, uh, Matthew 17, uh, uh, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. This is the Lord. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Exactly what is written in Revelation. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. You see, we don't sorrow as those who don't have hope. You know, we, we, we look at Deuteronomy 34 and you see Moses died and it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sad that he's died. And yes, I'm sad that or heartbroken that he's died, but we don't sorrow like the world. Boom, look at here in verse 3. Moses and Elijah appeared to, appeared to them talking with Jesus. This is the Lord buried him. And Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil because the devil wanted to take the body of Moses. What would he have done with, his, with the body of Moses? I mean, not to wonder, but what could he not have done? Then Peter, in verse 4, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Very interesting. Even the disciples of Jesus. Even the disciples of Jesus. Look, we can... Worship Elijah. We can worship Moses. And not to, not to speak negatively of these beautiful men, our brothers. But now you have an idea of what Satan could have done with the body of Moses. Worship of Moses. You see? Moses was a servant. 
In verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright light, a, br- a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him! Exclamation point. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. You see? And when the disciples speak of this, they have the Holy Spirit. Remember? Acts chapter 2, the Spirit. Very interesting that before Acts 2, the empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, and you have these disciples of the Lord that want to worship Elijah and Moses. Think of the believers today who believe in Jesus Christ, but without the Spirit of the Lord. People who believe in Jesus Christ and they say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago in accordance to that dispensation. It is not for this dispensation. And I see that at a high concentration, I see that belief that, 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 that the Holy Spirit doesn't work like he does in the book of Acts anymore because this is a new dispensation. I see that the most among Calvinist and Reformed theory people. Belief in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit is dangerous. That is not the way. To believe in Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, oil for our lamps, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened to Peter, James, and John, They didn't worship Elijah and Moses. They worshiped Jesus Christ. But you see, they're leaning before Acts 2. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now you see the last days. The Bible says are perilous times because they will be perilous. The heart of men will fail. And to believe in Jesus Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of what the flesh will lead a person into. At the same time when Satan is ramping up his attacks and the demonic realm enters the physical realm with signs and wonders performed by false prophets. Oh, but this is such a great Bible expositor. That's nice. He says, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Oh, but this guy, he's such an expositor of the Bible. That's nice. He wants to go grave soaking so that you can soak in the spirit in dead people. Oh, but he's such a great expositor of the Bible. He says God is done with Israel. He teaches replacement theology. No alignment to the word of God. 
Here in Matthew 17, Moses is seen, but it's not in the flesh. Deuteronomy 34, Moses is seen, like that's it, like the people see him going up the mountain, that's it. After that, it's him, the Lord, Michael the archangel, and Satan. You see? Where the spirit realm enters the physical. Very few are ready for that fight. Non-believers, absolutely, but I'm speaking to believers now. I'm talking about Christians. Very few Christians are ready for that fight. I mean, we we study, we are equipped, we roll around on the mat learning how to fight, you know, a fixed bayonets, metaphysically speaking. But this is for a spiritual fight that isn't just coming, it's already here. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Where are the warriors? To fight the good fight of faith in accordance to faith with the weapons of faith, which are not carnal. You see? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 34. And we see here in Deuteronomy 34, in verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, which translates as weak, nor his natural vigor diminished or vanished. So he was spry. He's not like 20-year-old fellow who's, you know, sprinting up the mountain. But he's not, you know, he's he's no spring chicken, but he's not like, you know, you know, taking a wheelchair up the mountain. His eyes were not weak, nor his natural vigor vanished, is how it translates. Not weak or, you know, diminished. He had pep to his step. Beautiful. End of the road for Moses, according to the flesh. End of watch, Moses. But in the spirit, he was seen. Matthew 17, he was seen. You see? In verse 8, And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. In verse 9, Now Joshua, beautiful, beautiful. Joshua, you're up. Next generation, yes, of righteousness, but of leadership. Remember, he was undefiled when Moses came down the mountain. He came out, he was at the mountain. Moses was in the cloud receiving the blueprints from the Lord. He comes out of the cloud. Boom, what does he see? His assistant, Joshua. Beautiful. Undefiled. Moses and Joshua undefiled. And all this time, Joshua learning, 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 learning. Now, Joshua, you're up. Just like Paul and Timothy, Paul and old man. Okay, little Timmy, you're up. Pastors. A lot of times pastors, they think of church as business. 
Oh, look, I have this church, and look, I got my son, and, you know, I got my daughter, and uh, this church, it's going to be treated like a business empire, and my pastor, my son is co-pastor, and when I die, he's going to be head pastor, and, you know, I have no sons, all I have is daughters, so we're going to implement this new rule where females can be pastors, and, you know, my daughter, she's going to be the next pastor, the head pastor here, and they treat it like a family business. You know why? Because they're stupid. Because they're fools. It is not a family business according to the flesh. It is the Lord's business, 100%. It is the Lord's business. Pastors, what if your son is wicked? And you want him to be head pastor? doesn't work that way. Look at Eli. Dead Eli. Dead sons, Eli. Look at Eli. You want to be like Eli, pastor? doesn't work that way. You might want it to work that way. But according to the word of God, do not treat church like an earthly business, pastor. You see, it's not a family business. Look for the dead. And when I say dead, I mean, if you're a pastor, when I say look for the dead... I mean, look for the ones who are crucified with Christ. Who carry their cross. Who reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. Look at the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, not the nasty fruit of the flesh. Look for the sweet aroma. Where you see that, yes, it's the next generation of righteousness. But where you see that, it's the next generation of leadership. Do not treat church as a family business, as like a earthly family business. Because church is the Lord's business. Oh, but I want my son to be pastor. That's nice. Examine your son. Does he have the fruit? Oh, no, he's on his third marriage. Okay, no pastoring for him. You see? Oh, but my son does drugs and the sex and the alcohol and all these things, but I'm a Calvinist and so he's, he's, he's ordained to be. That's nice. Calvinism is wrong. You see? What does the word of God say? A lot of pastors, a lot, many, 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 treat church like it's business you look at the offspring oh look my son is uh gonna co-pastor and my other son is an elder and my other son is on the board and my daughter's on the worship team and my other other daughter she's gonna be a she's gonna be an elder my other daughter you know it's like what what's happening here what's happening here it's not a family business It's the Lord's business. Jesus Christ, the head pastor of every single church. If he's not, you're in trouble, pastor. Big trouble. Major trouble. I mean, we're talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth trouble, pastor. You see? So you see this next generation of leadership. Joshua, who was undefiled, Moses comes out of the cloud. Who does he see? Joshua. The two come down the mountain. Who should have? They, they, they should have seen. 
The elders, they should have seen Aaron and her and the elders. They should have. But no, they keep walking. Hmm. Where's Aaron? That's interesting. I don't see Aaron. Oh, let's keep walking. Oh, that I don't see her. That That's interesting. I don't, I don't see the elders. Hmm, that's interesting. They keep walking down, walking down, walking down. Boom, there they are. Defiled with the masses. You see? Now you have Joshua in verse 9. Deuteronomy 34. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. You see, vessels of the Lord are vessels of the Lord. Sounds weird to hear that. What do you mean vessels of the Lord are vessels of the Lord? You take a vessel of the Lord. It's not to deify the vessel. But to exalt Christ in such a vessel. Just like Paul says, you know, the Lord has us as patterns. Paul, Titus, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, the Lord has these people as patterns what to emulate. That's that's how the Lord works. Moses, a pattern. Joshua, a pattern. You see, Caleb, a pattern. Phineas, a pattern. Phineas from this generation. Patterns. Esther, pattern. Hannah, pattern. So we see in verse 9, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see? And you see this alignment of vessels. Joshua's not saying, Well, Moses said this, so let's go over here now. Let's, let, 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 let's go into this region. I know the Lord called us over here, so let's do this. No, you see the alignment of vessels. Why? Because they serve the same Lord. Not false vessels. It's the same Lord, the same Spirit. But those of another Spirit? Oh, this guy says he's a vessel of the Lord. That's nice. Does what he say, does it align with the word of God? Oh, this lady says she's a vessel of the Lord. That's nice. Let's see if she's really a vessel. We must be Bereans, every single one of us. Test the spirits. Learn how to fight. Know how to fight. And not just learn and know straight up. Fight. Spiritual warfare. Fight the good fight of faith. Not carnally speaking. But this wickedness is going to be on overdrive. And the church will take casualties. It's already started. 
In verse 10, but since then there is not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Remember, he spoke to Moses as a friend. As a friend. Intimacy. Remember Moses at the burning bush? Well, the bush that was burning but didn't burn. His existential crisis where he grew up in Egypt, assuming himself an Egyptian. Everything he knew is like a lie. Who am I? Remember the better question? Who is God? Because when you have an understanding of who the Lord is, our identity, your identity, my identity, our identity is in Christ. You go to another source, you go to a, a, a false teacher, a false prophet, you go to the psychologist, oh, you, you're a boy, you think you're a girl, okay, let's make you a girl. You're a girl, you think you're a boy, okay, let's make you a boy. Oh, what's this? You have these thoughts about this? Okay, maybe you're bipolar. Analyze this. Okay, you're bipolar. So now here, take these drugs. You're bipolar and you're depressed. Okay, take this drug and this drug. You're bipolar, you're depressed, and you also have anxiety. Okay, take this drug, this drug, and this drug. Oh, you also have, you know, this uh, condition. Okay, take this other drug. And what do you see? Zombies. Zombies all over the place. And then people say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do like he does in the book of Acts. That was for 2,000 years ago. You see, no power. No power. That's... Satan knows exactly what he's doing. He wants you and me to be disarmed with no power, with no oil. Why? Because he wants to drag you to hell. Where he knows that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal separation from the Lord. That's what he wants to do. He's going there. He knows it. And he wants to drag you and me there and everybody. Beautiful, sweet baby girl. Beautiful, sweet baby girl, and Satan wants to destroy her. He wants her to have weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who's going to let that happen? You see? The psychologist here, take this drug, take this drug, take this drug. Veterans. PTSD. Veterans with, you know, no legs with PTSD. Traumatic, traumatic experiences. They go to the VA hospital. Take this drug, take this drug, take this drug, take this drug, take this drug. Zombies in wheelchairs. Zombies. No arms, no legs. Zombies. It's happening. And then people teach, oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm, I, I believe this. And then the, past, the so-called pastors, I'm doing my air quotes. Oh, that was for another dispensation. You know, you see these healings. You read the book of Acts and you see all these healings and these, uh, these disciples and they would lay hands. And, you know, when the Jesus sent his disciples, he sent them out as uh, 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 sheep amidst wolves and they had power to heal. That was for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. That was in accordance to another dispensation. Satan wants Christians to be disarmed today. 
so that the Christian can lay hands on individuals and heal them. And it's not the Christian doing the healing, it's the Lord doing the healing through his vessels. I had a friend, we were on deployment, and he couldn't do certain things that every single person had to do because his shoulder was bummed. It was like really out of whack. He went to doctors and they gave him all kinds of different drugs, pain medication. And we were there, we were like at a picnic, and it's like a, a... we were eating it, outdoor eating. And these Christians, these, these, these men came and they saw my friend kind of grimace, kind of rub his shoulder and grimace. They said, what's wrong? He says, oh, I got a bum shoulder. And they said, okay, let's pray. And I wasn't a Christian at the time. Very like, it was like a weird moment in my life where it was like the Lord was revealing himself to me. And so these men said, well, what's the matter? And they said, oh, my shoulder's bum. I got a bad shoulder. And this is a kid who went to like doctors and, you know, they, they, they airlifted him to different, you know, ships and, you know, to see like the, the better doctors. <laughs> so he came back and he, they just gave him all these drugs and he was in very serious pain. And then so these Christian guys, well, what's the matter? He says, I got a bum shoulder. And they says, okay, let's pray. And I was like, what? Like, like, come on, like the doctors are the ones who know. They went, they were, they're educated. Come on, they, they know what they're doing. The doctors, yeah, let's just let the doctors be the doctors. And these guys, here are these guys are saying, let's pray. Okay, what good is this going to do? That was me and my uh, skeptical mind. So I closed my eyes and I listened to these guys pray. And how they spoke to the Lord, it was like, what? Like, I I was a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism, which is is not biblical Christianity. The Lord rescued me. I was a former Catholic, and the Lord rescued me from Catholicism. And to to hear these men pray, it was like, I've never heard a prayer like that before. And it wasn't like a, a massage job where, you know, it's like, you know, like a chiropractor, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to lay hands on you. But really what we're doing, we're kind of rubbing the muscles and getting down and making like, you know, chiropractic adjustment and all this stuff. It wasn't like that. They put their hands on him. And I was listening to their prayer like, what? They, you could pray like this? You know, all my experience to prayer was in accordance to Catholicism, which is unbiblical. Like, like they're... There, it was, for me, it was just the weirdest thing ever. Like, it's like, just in shock of like, just the prayer alone. My eyes are closed. I couldn't see. And then all, I was like, you know, peeking a little bit, but not, you know, like a hundred percent of the time. I was like peeking a little bit, just, to, you know, just remember, I'm, I'm skeptical. And then all of a sudden I heard, I start to hear pops. I start to hear like bones like adjusting you know, like when you crack your knuckles except like what if it's like like a shoulder bone you know you hear like a big you know you hear like that i was hearing like that like pop 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 and then we said amen and like we were we were all in shock the men were not in shock they knew that the lord would heal. The 
The guys who laid hands, they were not in shock. I was in shock. My friend was in shock. We were all in shock. My friend was airlifted to, you know, different ships, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the medical procedures. And he was still in pain. And these couple guys here, they lay hands, they pray, and he's healed? Straight up healed. There is healing in the Lord. There's a reason why we place heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on the real Jesus. Because in accordance to prophecy, there will be many Christs propagated by many false teachers and many false prophets. In those, there will be signs and wonders, but those are signs and wonders to deceive. Even the elect is what the Bible says. Even the elect. If possible, even the elect. We place heavy emphasis on the real Jesus. Why? Because in the real Jesus, there is healing. PTSD, depression, anxiety, pain, whatever it is. In the real Jesus, there is healing. You listen to a preacher guy who says, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. That was for another dispensation. That's not for today. That was for 2,000 years ago. There is, biblically speaking, there is no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. There is on people. But remember, the Lord is reactionary. When people have no power, there's a reason. You see? There's a reason. Because the vessel, the person, they are the ones who quench or extinguish. Remember, it just so happens that we study this. They are the ones who extinguish. There are a lot of Christians today. They believe in Jesus. But they have extinguished the Holy Spirit. Those are in very serious trouble. Because it might be fine and dandy when the water is pinky toe deep. Fine and dandy when it's thumb toe deep. Fine and dandy when we're ankle deep. But when we're knee deep, you're going to see people fall. Hip deep, you're going to see people get swept away. You see? Chest deep, forget about it. You're going to see people swept away. You're going to see little heads in the distance swept away. And they're going to be screaming and screaming. Some are going to just have an oblivious face to them because they're just oblivious to it. They don't understand that they've fallen away. Oh, because once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The formula is once saved, stay saved. You see? Falling away is prophesied. The real Jesus, his word is above his name. The fake Jesus says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. The fake Jesus says, hey, let's go lay on the graves and, you know, soak up the spirit. That's what the fake Jesus says. But the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, remember the formula, 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 it must be right. 
You see the alignment of vessels here with Joshua and Moses. Why? Same Lord, same Spirit. In verse 10, in closing, but since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In verse 11, in all the signs and wonders, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Remember, since then, in verse 10, since then, not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face as a friend. Beautiful. Beautiful. In closing, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 really quick. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Verse 1, moreover, brethren, this is Brother Paul, Brother Paul, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. When we say a student of Gamaliel, Gamaliel was a teacher of Kohanim, a teacher of Levites, and his student a Pharisee of Pharisees in his B.C. days before he came to Christ. And I say this to my Jewish friends in whom I love. Rabbi listeners whom I love. Rabbinical teachers, Talmudic teachers whom I love. This Pharisee of Pharisees in his, when he, in his B.C. days before he came to Christ. I'm just echoing his words. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. That's why we see in John chapter 5. Turn to John chapter 5 really quick. And in John chapter 5, what do we see? In John chapter 5, verse 39. In John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says this. You search the scriptures. This is Jesus to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures. For in them, you think you have eternal life. Very powerful. It is absolutely true that the scriptures have eternal life, but now it's a question of the heart. It's not searching the scriptures like literature. Understand the word became flesh. To tabernacle. A noun in the Old Testament, a verb in accordance to the new covenant. 
You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, he says. And so we see in, in verse 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see, to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures and you think that you have eternal life. But if you search the scriptures within unwillingness or resistance to the word which became flesh, that's a different ballgame. You, my beautiful friend, you're in trouble. Because it's not to search the scriptures as literature. Remember, a student of Gamaliel, a teacher of Kohanim, of the Levites, says the rock was Jesus. In verse 40 here in John chapter 5, but if, if but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. How true is this? Remember, they killed Jesus. People say, oh, look, the Jews killed Jesus. The Romans were there too. He was on a Roman cross. He was stabbed with a Roman spear. Don't forget, both Jew and Gentile. I do not receive honor from men. Remember, thousands became hundreds. Hundreds became twelve. Twelve became eleven. Eleven became zero. I did not receive honor from men, he says. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe? Who receive honor from one another. And do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if, 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 remember he's speaking to Pharisees. They, they planted themselves on, oh, we were hardcore. We follow Moses. And Jesus says in verse 46, for if you believed Moses... You would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Remember, the rock was Jesus. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle. Remember, messenger translates as messenger. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Very interesting what we see here. Notice we see this, you know, consider the apostle. Notice the capitalization. Consider the apostle and high priests. 
of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, speaking of God the Father, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, speaking of Jesus, this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house, speaking of the Lord, he, capital H, he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone. But he, speaking of the Lord, he who built all things is God. Remember, you look at the sun, that's the Lord. You look at the moon, that's the Lord, his handiwork. You look at the stars, that's the Lord's handiwork. Just like we see here in verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. In verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. See, as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. That's why Jesus says, Moses wrote, Moses wrote of me. If you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The law leads to Christ. The law points to Christ. But Christ, in verse 6, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. And that's a remnant. A remnant. You see? Because Christians, the church, we will take casualties But there's a remnant. There is a remnant. We don't sorrow as others who have no hope. You see? Death has no sting. Paradise awaits. And there is a death according to the flesh. Which comes to every man. But there is a generation, a last day's generation... That will see no death. Because they will be raptured. The resurrection. It is coming. As surely as the Lord lives, every jot, every tittle will be completed, will be done. These are things that we look forward to, but not look forward to with finality because there's more. A lot of times people say, oh, I I just want to make the rapture. Well, there's, there's more. There's more. The millennial reign of Christ, New Jerusalem, Zion. There's more. Not a lot written about the more part. But I love that. Why? Because I can't wait to see. I can't wait to experience it for myself. And I want you to be there. You see? This is the walk of the saint. The way, the truth, the life. To the beautiful saints of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.